Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. If you wanted to give an analogy that would show the indispensable quality and nature of Christ's oneness to the Christian, His oneness with the church, what would you choose? Well, Paul chose the analogy of our head to our body. Today we're looking at the incomparable Christ, the head of the body, the church. Now this year we are stressing loving Jesus personally, and you remember our disciples' cross, and I want to just give you a brief review of that to keep it before you. The question we ask ourselves in the staff meeting last year, what would a mature disciple look like? We're in the disciple-making business. God has commissioned us to make disciples. Well, we need to know what one looks like so we'll know if we're made one or not, right? So we started thinking, what does a mature disciple look like? And so we believe God gave us this disciple's cross to show us the steps that a person needs to move through in order to become a mature disciple of Christ. And the first one is loving Jesus personally. It all begins in that personal relationship with Christ, doesn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And worship is the primary place that we grow in our love relationship with our Lord, both in corporate worship and in private worship. And so we've been emphasizing this year, looking at Christ, seeing how incomparable He is. There is none to compare with Him. There is no basis for comparison. He alone is a creator. All others are part of creatures. And so we've been spending the whole year looking at the incomparable Christ. To know Christ is to love Him. To understand Him better is to love Him in a deeper way. But we want to move from loving Jesus personally to loving others practically. What did Jesus say the greatest, second greatest commandment was? Love your neighbors yourself. And so... We want to see you move from loving Jesus personally. Next step, love others practically. And the primary way we are seeking to help you do that is through our life groups, our groups that meet during the night time hours on Saturday nights, Sunday nights, Friday nights, and then our traditional what's called Sunday school, we call our life groups on Sunday morning. But the purpose is to teach you how to love others practically, you know, not just in word, but in deed and in truth. But again, we want to move past that through to the third stage of being a mature disciple, and that is serving others joyfully. Serving God and others joyfully. Uh, We want to be involved in Christian ministry. We want to be involved in service. And so we desire for every member of this church to be involved in some aspect of serving the body of Christ here at Westside, whether it be an usher, whether it be a teacher, whether it be a greeter, uh, whether it be in nursery working in the nursery or in children's ministry, 
upward, we want you to be involved in serving our Lord and others joyfully, faithfully. But then again, we believe a mature disciple moves on even beyond those three steps to the place where he is sharing Jesus relationally. We want you to be involved in intentionally building relationships with the unchurched, be it at home in your neighborhood, be it at work, be it at the ball fields where your kids are playing ball, be it at the social club, school, wherever. We want you to intentionally be building relationships with the unchurched for the purpose of sharing Christ's love. Now, we've designed this Disciples' Cross to help you see where you are in the process. Maybe you only come on Sunday morning. Maybe you're just at the first step. And you need to get involved in a, in a life group. Maybe you're involved in a life group and you're involved in Sunday morning, but you're not serving anywhere in the body of Christ here at Westside. You need to move into an area of service. The nominated committee is at work. There are opportunities for you to serve. Come up to me. Come up to Troy. Say, hey, I want to serve Christ here at Westside. We'll find you a place to serve that's suited for your spiritual gifts. But maybe you're doing that, but you're not intentionally building relationships with the unchurched. We want to help you do that as well. So just to kind of give you an overview of where we desire to see you move, that you might be a mature disciple in Christ. But now we're looking at the incomparable Christ for the purpose of falling madly passionately in love with Him. And we're looking at Christ as the head of the body, the church. Take your Bibles, turn over to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. You remember, Paul is dealing with a heresy in the church at Colossae. And basically this heresy was saying that Christ was not totally, absolutely, fully God. And so Paul gives us the greatest Christological passage we have in all of Scripture in chapter 1 of Colossians. He lets us know clearly that Jesus is very God of very God. And we have looked at several aspects already Uh but we will begin reading in verse 13 that we might catch the flow of the passage. And I hope you will call to your memory when we pass over the Scriptures that we've already talked about, some of the truth that we've looked at. If you would stand in respect for the Word of God, Colossians chapter 1, I'll begin reading in verse 13. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, 
Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. You may be seated. And our concentration today, of course, is on verse 18, the first part of that verse, where Paul says he is also head of the body, the church. Now, the Bible uses a number of different metaphors and analogies to describe the relationship of Christ to the church. One that comes to mind is the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. You remember Jesus said over in John, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Another analogy that comes to mind that Jesus uses is that of the vine and the branches. You remember? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, he shall bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Another analogy that comes to my mind is the relationship between the husband and wife. as an analogy between Christ and the church. As Ephesians says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now today... Paul is using yet another analogy, and that is the analogy of the head and the body. I believe we can learn a great deal about the relationship between Christ and the church, Christ and the believer, as we look at this analogy. Now let me say something I've said several times before, but I don't think it can be, can be overemphasized. And that is this. I believe that God has given us things in this physical world, realities in this physical world, to help us understand spiritual realities. He's given us things we can see to help us understand things we cannot see. The spiritual truth has come first. And then the physical truth came second. For instance, in the beginning, God. Before there was anything physical, there was God who is spirit. And so God created the heavens and the earth. But the spiritual preceded the physical, right? Stay with me on this. I am thoroughly convinced that when God planned His creation of the physical world, He said, I will create things in the physical world that will help my people understand the spiritual world. All right? For instance, I believe that when God created the, the process of human growth, that we're born a baby and we grow up into adulthood, I believe he set that process in motion because he wanted us to have a picture of the concept of spiritual growth. That just as we grow physically from childhood to adulthood, so we grow spiritually from being a babe in Christ to being a mature man in Christ. It was not that Paul one day said, you know, I want to help people understand this idea of spiritual growth. Now, what can I do to help them understand it? And then he says, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I know what we can do. We'll take the process of human growth, how people start off as a baby, and then they grow up into childhood, adolescence, and adulthood, and I'll use that to help people understand spiritual growth. I don't think that's the way it happened. I believe God in His infinite wisdom said, I want to help people understand spiritual growth, and so I am going to create the human growth process as a way of helping people see the spiritual reality. I think that is also true when it comes to the human body. It wasn't that Paul one day said, now what is a good way to help people understand the indispensable oneness of Christ and the Christian, Christ and the church? Mm, Let me see. Oh, yeah. Look at the way that guy's head fits on his body. Hey, you know, he can't be separated from that head and still live. I'll use that. I don't believe that's the way it happened. I believe God in His eternal wisdom said, I want to present a picture to mankind of the inseparable oneness of Christ and the church, and therefore I will design the human body to do that. Just like He designed marriage to be a picture of Christ and the church. Christ in the church, that reality came first. Marriage was His way of helping us see that. I think it will change the way you see the physical world when you realize that God created many things in this physical world to help us understand the spiritual world. And so when the Scripture gives us an analogy, we need to look closely at it. Because it's not unintentional. God was at work to create this physical reality so it would help us understand the spiritual truth that preceded it. So it is with the head and the body. So that means we got to look at this whole concept of our head and our body and see what we can learn about Christ's relationship to the church from this. And there are five things I want to point out. More could be said. But these five will get us started. First, There is an inseparable oneness, an organic unity, a common life between the head and the body. Now, look at me here for just a moment. You quickly notice that my head is attached to my body. All right? Doesn't take you long to figure that out. In fact, I doubt if you have ever seen a live functioning head that was not attached to a body. I would also venture to say, you've never seen a live functioning body that was not attached to a head. You recognize that there is an inseparable oneness here. Many of you remember Home Improvement, the show Home Improvement, Tim Allen. You remember remember there was this guy called Wilson? There was always behind the fence, and you usually only saw the top of his head. Did you ever doubt there was a body hooked onto that head? No. You never doubted it for one second. Because all of your human experience has shown you that there is an inseparable connection between the body and the head. And Paul wants to stress for us the organic unity, the oneness of Jesus 
and the church. Now, if he simply wanted to talk about Jesus' leadership, he could have used the analogy of a king and his subjects. He could have used the analogy of a chief and his tribe. But he wanted to show an inseparable oneness. He wanted to stress the unity of Jesus to the believer. And so he uses the picture of the head and the body. You see, this oneness between Christ and the church is profound. And at the same time, it is mysterious. You see, the Bible teaches that believers are in Christ. And at the same time, it teaches that Christ is in us. In fact, in this very book of Colossians, look, if you will, in verse 27. Paul says, To whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says that if you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is in you. At the same time that He is seated at the right hand of the Father in His glorified body, He is at the same time in you as a believer. Now tell me that's not mysterious. Tell me that's not profound. But not only does the Bible say that Christ is in you, but it also says that you are in Christ. Look at verse 28. We proclaim Him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. There is this mysterious yet truly profound concept of Christ in us, us in Christ, this inseparable, indivisible unity. When Jesus talked about the vine and the branches, He was getting at that same idea of this unity that, that cannot be quietly, cannot be easily discerned and understood, but yet it's true. You know, where does a branch start and where does a vine start and where does it connect and where does it intermingle? And there is that indivisible unity. Paul, over in Ephesians chapter 5, talks about this unity and, and calls it a mystery as he talks about the oneness of Christ in the church over in Ephesians 5 in verse 30, 31. Well, we pick up 30. Because we are members of His body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The passage over in Genesis that is used by Moses to speak of the first wedding, the first marriage between Adam and Eve. Paul quotes this, but then he goes in verse 32 and says, This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Now, 
how two people, individuals, husband and wife, can become one flesh is hard to, con- to grasp. It's hard to comprehend. Right? I mean, this one flesh relationship is exclusive to the husband and wife. The Scripture doesn't use it to talk about any other relationship. And yet, it says one flesh. Well, as mysterious and mind-boggling as that truth is, Paul says, hey guys, I'm talking about Christ in the church. That Christ and His church are one flesh. You say, preacher, how can it be? I don't know how it can be, but it is. Because he says it. You say, well, preacher, so what? So what that it's true we are one with Christ? What does it mean for me? Well, let me ask you a question. Where can you find your completeness? Where can you find your wholeness? If God made you to be connected with Christ, to be at one with Christ, then how do you think you'll ever find true fulfillment, true satisfaction, true completeness apart from Christ? God has created a restlessness within us that can only be satisfied when we realize our oneness with Christ. Christ. I want to say to you, I believe that a person without Christ is as incomplete as a body without a head. A person without Jesus is no more complete than a body without a head. Because God created us to be joined with Christ. And our completeness, our oneness, will be found only in Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2.10, And in Him you have been made complete. You're not going to find a sense of completeness until you realize that it is found in your relationship with Christ, that it is found in your oneness with Christ. So that's the profound significance of this truth, that there is this inseparable unity between you and Christ, this indispensable oneness. The truth is, you're not ever going to find any real complete satisfaction and fulfillment in life until you find it in Jesus. You're not going to find it in your job. You're not even going to find it in your spouse. You're not going to find it in your children. It's only going to be found in Jesus. Because that's where God created us to find our wholeness and completeness. Second truth. There's a total dependence of the body on the head. Have you ever considered how completely dependent your body is on your head? 
I mean, the head tells the body exactly what to do. Now, modern physiology has given a much richer meaning to what Paul says than what he understood, no doubt. Modern science has come to understand in a much deeper way the connection of the brain, the head, to the body. In fact, your body does nothing that your brain doesn't tell it to do. Nothing. Your heart doesn't beat if your brain doesn't tell it to beat. You don't breathe if your brain doesn't tell you tell you to breathe. I mean nothing. Your body is totally dependent on your brain to tell it what to do. You name it, if your body does it, it's because the command has come from your brain. The brain sends a message through the cranial nerves, out through the spinal nerves, to the different parts of your body, and then it's done. The body responds. But the communication is constant, is it not? We call it the involuntary responses. I mean, you don't have to think to breathe. And wouldn't it be awful if you had to think every time you needed to breathe? It'd be worse if you had to think to make your heart beat. What if you had to think? Just like you had to think to raise, your, raise my hand. You had to think, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart, beat heart. It'd be awful. But God has made it so that the communication is constant between the brain and the body, and the body responds. Take example of eating. There are thousands of commands that your brain sends to your body for you to accomplish the simple task of eating and all that goes along with that. And so your body is totally dependent on your head, your brain. So it is that we must realize that we as Christians are totally dependent upon Jesus. We as the church are totally dependent on Jesus. Just like your body can do nothing apart from your brain, we can do nothing apart from Jesus. Over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will be revealed with Him in glory. Look at that. When Christ, who is your life, He's your life. He's your everything. He's your worship. He's your prayer. He's your Bible study. He's your understanding of the Scriptures. He's your patience. He's your joy. He's your contentment. He's everything. He's your righteousness. He's your righteous thoughts. He's your godly thoughts. He's your righteous desires. He is our life. And just as surely as your body is 100% dependent on your brain, you and I are 100% dependent on the Lord Jesus. You don't have a righteous thought apart from Him. You cannot do a righteous thing apart from Him. Utter a righteous prayer. Understand a single word of Scripture. Say a single word of glory and praise apart from Him. 
That's how absolutely dependent we are upon Him. We think we can do it. No, Paul says, in me dwells no good thing. You need to come to the point you realize anything good in you is Christ. It's not you. It's Jesus. And when we realize how totally dependent we are on Him, when we realize that we've got to keep the communications going constantly between us and Him, you know what that does? That keeps me in the prayer closet, doesn't it? It keeps me praying without ceasing all during the day because I know He is my patience. He is my wisdom. He is my life. Remember again, Jesus said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him shall bear much fruit, but apart from me, what can we do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He didn't say apart from me you can only do a little. Apart from me you can't do much. He said apart from me you can do nothing. You and I must humble ourselves, surrender ourselves to Him and say, Lord Jesus, I want to see You as You saw the Father. And You said You could do nothing apart from the Father. I want to see that I can do nothing apart from You. And that drives us to Him in prayer. That drives us to Him in faith. That drives us to Him to trust Him to work in us to accomplish His goodwill. Absolutely. Totally. So next time you sit down to eat, which probably won't be too long from now, you think about all the messages that have to go from your brain to your body to accomplish that simple task. And then you realize how totally dependent you are on the Lord Jesus. That apart from Him, you can do nothing. Third truth, there's a complete obedience of the body to the head. Now, when everything's working right, a normal, healthy body, there is complete obedience of the body to the head. The brain sends a command, the body does it. There's no questioning, there's no arguing, there's no reinterpretation. There is simple obedience. The body simply responds to the head. Now, what if it didn't work that way? What if the heart decided, hey, I'm not going to obey the brain. The brain says, beat, I'm going to say no. I'm tired of this. I don't ever get any credit. Nobody talks about how great I am. I rebel. I don't get any days off. No vacation. I'm going to quit. In fact, people like to talk about me in a negative way. Got a heartburn. Got a heartache. Songs are written about me in a negative way. I decided I will not obey the brain. Disaster, all right? It's obvious. Well, what do you think happens when the church decides it's not going to obey Christ? What do you think happens when you as a Christian decide you're not going to obey Christ? Disaster. Because if we're going to function in a healthy fashion, we must obey Christ. We must obey. It's not for us to rebel. It's not for us to argue. It's not for us to reinterpret what He has said. We are to obey it. If the Bible says it, 
we are to do it. We're not to try to explain it away. We're not to try to reinterpret it. But once we have correctly determined the command of Jesus, the will of Jesus through the Word of Christ, then we are to do it. Not to procrastinate, not to question. We're to do it. Because just as the head is obeyed by the body, we must obey our Lord. Next truth. There can only be one head. Headship is singular. (laughs) How many heads do you have? Have you ever seen a normal functioning human body with two heads? No. Have you thought about that? I mean, there'd be certain advantages to have two heads. I mean, you could talk to yourself. You'd never be lonely. You could see twice as much. You know, you could turn this way and you could see more stuff. But, you know, one problem negates all the advantages. How would you decide what to do? How much time would you spend arguing over what you're going to do? I mean, it's hard enough for a husband and wife to agree. (laughs) Right? Think about if one body with two heads, two independent wheels, trying to figure out what's going on, what they're going to do. Now, maybe some of you have seen the Siamese twins that I have seen that have two heads. And it's a mystery to me how they can even walk. Because they've got two different wheels. But God knew that the human body could not function properly with two heads. You can only have one head. So it is with the church. There can only be one head, and that is Jesus. No man, no pastor, no deacon is head of the church. It's not what I want. It's not what you want that matters. What does Jesus want? What does the head, Christ, want us to do? It's not my opinion that matters. It's not your opinion that matters. All that matters is what does Jesus say? What does He want us to do? How many problems would be solved if we simply stopped trying to please everybody and sought only to please Jesus? If we were not so concerned about giving our own opinions having our way, but we sought to know Jesus and what He wanted, how many problems would be solved? Same in my life. If my life was geared toward finding out what Christ wants and seeking to be obedient to what He wants for my life, not what I want for my life, how much simpler and less hassle and less conflict would I experience. But we are in a turmoil because we're afraid we're not going to get what we want. And when we surrender to what He wants, then we can be at peace. Next, there's an absolute sympathy between the head and the body. Not a single thing happens to my body that my brain is not aware of. I touch a hot stove, my brain knows it immediately. I'm walking through the fields and a briar sticks into my leg, my brain knows it immediately. 
I could even burn my hand and and catch a briar in my leg at the same time, and I might not feel but one, but my brain knows both of them are happening. You see, the brain knows exactly what's going on throughout the body. There's total sympathy between your brain and your body. Well, Jesus has complete awareness and complete sympathy with us. He knows what's going on in the entire body of Christ. All at once. He knows it all. He is infinitely aware of every heartache, every hardship, every problem, every trial that you encounter. He is infinitely aware of it. Just as your brain is aware of everything going on in your body, He is aware of everything going on in His body. He cares for you. He knows your pain, your sorrow, your frustration. He knows the difficulty of your situation. And He cares for you. Because He is the head of the body. He is connected with you in an inseparable way. He knows the depths of of your sorrow. And so the Scripture says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and to those who are crushed in spirit. You don't experience any sorrow that your Lord is not aware of. it. Immediately. Instantly. And He alone knows the depth of your pain. But He's there. And then lastly, When there's a break between the head and the body, certain disaster occurs. Now, one of three things happen when there's a separation of the head and the body. Death, paralysis, or frenzy. Now, we as Christians, when there's a break between the head Our Lord Jesus and us through sin, through disobedience, praise God, we don't experience spiritual death. We're still spiritually alive, even though the connection has been broken. But we do experience the other two things, either paralysis, and we we, we can do nothing apart from Him. We're just immobilized. But more than that, we experience frenzy. How many of you have seen a chicken with his head cut off? I think one time you see that, you'll never forget it, will you? <laughs> I must have been seven or eight down in my grandparents' house. Man, that is a sight to see. A chicken running around with his head cut off, blood spurting <laughs> until he just falls over. But that phrase describes it, doesn't it? You'll run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Frantic. Frenzy. And that's what happens when Christians get disconnected with Christ. They start just doing a flurry of activities. Churches that are disconnected with Christ just try to have more and more and more and more programs. We can just do more and more and more. Maybe we can get things going. We can get activities going. Maybe somehow we can replace the Holy Spirit. That's what they're trying to do. And so they just go off in every direction. And we as Christians, we do the same thing when we're not connected with Christ and we're not finding out what He wants us to do. We just try to do a bunch of things hoping we'll find something that He wants us to do. 
like a chicken with a hedge cut off. How's your connection with Christ this morning? Has that connection been broken because of disobedience in your life? Because of some sin in your life? Our incomparable Christ is the head of the body. There is that indivisible unity, that indispensable unity, oneness between us and Christ. Are you finding your completeness in Him? Do you realize He is your very life? Will you depend on Him completely? Everything. Let's pray. Father, we do desire that you would reveal to us the depth of this truth that Christ is the head of the body of the church. And what that means for us as individual believers. That this week we would live in the understanding of His headship and this indispensable unity and oneness with our Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond as the Holy Spirit has dealt with you. If you've never come to that place in your life that you have surrendered to Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, I want to encourage you to do so today. That you might be joined to Him. That He might be in you and you in Him. You say, well, what does it mean? How do I do that? The Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think that means, first of all, you realize you cannot save yourself, that you're separated because of your personal sinfulness, and that you're bound for an eternity, separated from God under His holy wrath and judgment. And you cannot change that by anything you can do. But He's done everything through Christ, who came and lived that perfect life that you couldn't live, took your place on the cross, was punished for you. He received the holy anger of God over your sins upon Himself. He came alive from the dead. Now He offers you forgiveness of sins. Wipe them away. He offers you a place in heaven. He offers to come and live within you and give you strength and power to follow Him for His glory. Will you come in faith and surrender to Jesus? Surrendering all you are to all that He is. Being willing to turn away from anything in your life that's not pleasing to Him. By His grace. Stand as we sing together. If you want to come pray by yourself, come to my left, your right. If you want someone to pray with you, you come over to my right, your left. If you just want to speak with me about your relationship to Christ, just step right out as we sing together.